0: Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophoris. If you're looking for a job, now may be the best time in a generation or more unemployment stands at a 50-year low, and former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan called it the tightest labor market he's ever seen. But that doesn't mean the entire employment picture is rosy. Joining me now on this podcast is Jacob Shu. He is the CEO of Catalyte, which uses artificial intelligence to help recruit tech workers in particular. It's so good to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Jacob, let's start with the big picture, It's a good time to be looking to change jobs right now. Is this a good time? Let me start again. Three, two, one. Let's start with the big picture, Jacob. Is it a good time to be looking to change jobs or even careers right now?
1: Absolutely. Because now with technology, we're able to identify people who have this innate potential to do more. You know, so right now in this country, we have six million jobs that are going unfilled because employers say they can't find workers who have the skills to actually fulfill those. At the same time, we have millions and millions of underemployed and unemployed Americans who are locked out of those jobs because they lack the pedigree. They lack these traditional markers um, to to qualify for those jobs. But, you know, most of these jobs of the future, these are experiential jobs. These are careers that, you know, you don't learn some tacit body of knowledge and you do it again and again. Those jobs are going to be eliminated with automation technology. The careers of the future are really those jobs where you have to have a growth mindset. You have to continuously learn. You have to continuously hone your skills and software developers which is the area that we're focused on is a great example you know i often use the analogy that great software developers they're like great musicians in the sense that uh, you can you can lock me in a room with the best, you know, Juilliard professor, you know, instructors <laughs> in the world. And maybe in a, few, in a few months, I might be able to play some songs and I can play some chords. But you don't become a great musician unless you jam, right? Unless you play right. different kinds of music, you play in different kinds of uh, environments and, and different kind of band members. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. Software development is the same thing, right? Every software developer today, whatever they know is probably 18 to 24 months away from being obsolete. So they have Mm. to continuously learn new things, continuously pick up new tech stacks, continually hone their skills. And we found that that ability to do that is actually evenly
0: distributed across all populations. But there are issues, right? I mean, you you touched on underemployment out there. We're talking about people who are either working in jobs where their skill set is a, is more than what that job uh, would ask for. You've got people who are working part-time but would be prefer to work full-time. So how are you working to help fix that problem? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first of all, we don't look at pedigree. So all you need to do to apply to join the company, is an email address, right? And by by design, we don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to know your, I don't even want to know your name. I don't what your gender. I don't want to know your age. Um, Why is that? To eliminate bias? Exactly. We don't want to have, any, we don't want to introduce any bias into that selection process. And what we do is we ask, we direct you, sign up on our website. We direct you to an online screening. Now, it looks like a test, looks like an aptitude test, but it's not. Um, the secret is that we're actually watching what you do while you take that Test. Mm-hmm. Um, and by watching what you do, we have about 5,000 different predictive models built into our algorithm wow. that we're looking at things like how, you know, is this candidate a great problem solver? Does they exi- do they exhibit something we call cognitive agility, which is this concept that we came up with? It's that a person uses evidence and data as a fact-driven decision maker. You know mm-hmm. that they make decisions using evidence data, but more importantly, that they change their minds when presented with new evidence and new data. Um, we're looking for people who have tenacity, right? Who have grit, who can push through, and uh, you know, and who synthesize complexity.
0: How do you get a sense of that by somebody taking this test? That's really not a test.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the secret and why. Now, how does machine learning and AI play into this is that we have this unique data set. Because our company is delivering engineering services to Fortune 500 companies, every day we're collecting all this great data about performance, about who is a great developer, how fast are they ramping up, you know, how fast are they delivering their quality, their productivity. And from there, we've got this great data set that we backtest test all these attributes. So, for example, um, I'll share one secret, right? So, for example, um, you know, we're tracking keystrokes and we're tracking what you do on your browser while you're taking this test. Okay. Um, there's one secret, which is, you know, for example, um, we look at how many browser tabs that you open while you're taking this test. Um, and we found that there is a very, a very high signal between people who open lots of tabs in their browsers and people who are who eventually become great developers. <laughs> so, because
0: it's... so presumably they're opening up the tabs because they're researching an answer. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and
1: again, that's why it's not a test. I don't expect anybody to actually know these answers off the top of their head. Right. right? We're actually looking for people who actually know how to find and acquire the information that they need to solve a problem.
0: Right. Couldn't you say that if you open a lot of tabs, you're very resourceful? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know? And okay. those,
1: again, those are those innate abilities that are not gender specific, not right. racial specific. Everybody's got these abilities mm-hmm. to some degree. And we are identifying these people who think a certain way, right? <laughs>
0: Does this work, though? I mean, so you're working specifically with software developers. Would this translate into other industries? And if so, which industries? Yeah,
1: so theoretically, yes. Now, the biggest challenge I always say is that the challenge is actually finding that data set. And then the question really is, how do you define excellence? Right. Mm-hmm. In any career. Right. As a software developer today, you know, we're using agile, you know, safe metrics, essentially agile methodology to standardize and normalize the outcome data. Right. Again, the engineering services we're providing for our clients, that's the unique data set that we have to do this back testing. Um, but it's very difficult to actually find and objectively measure excellence in other careers. Right. So, for example, if I were to say a journalist today, how would you actually define excellence in a very objective way across lots of companies? Yes. Pretty hard question to answer, right? right. <laughs> so how do you actually create take subjectivity, right, and human bias out of outcome data? If you can do that, then you can do the same thing across any number of careers. And so that's something that we're looking to do. Next year we're launching a cybersecurity program. Um, So to start creating a cybersecurity workforce um, with the state of Maryland to, um, to, to sort of address that
0: talent shortage. And we're starting to look at data scientists as a potential area to get into as well. So I think this is really fascinating. But in terms of tech jobs or the way companies go about hiring tech workers in the future, you think that looking at a resume and having people come in for an interview is going to go away. My question to you is, doesn't that hold value when you think about the culture of a company? Wouldn't you want to talk to that person, get a feel for who they are um, to see if they would be the right fit for your company?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a big believer that culture is something that grows organically out of the people that you have in the company. So I believe that great cult- companies with great cultures begin by hiring great people. It's not the other way around, <laughs> right? And so, I, so, you know, for us, we believe that you know, resumes are fundamentally flawed, right? Interviews are fundamentally flawed because there's a number of biases. There's the biases of the person who wrote the resume, the person, you know, who padded their resume <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> all right say it like it is
1: but there's also the bias of of course the interviewer right the mm-hmm. person who actually conduct the interview and there's been lots of studies around you know affinity bias confirmation bias attribution biases mm-hmm. there's a lot of biases ultimately what science has proven is that people generally hire people who are like themselves and who confirm some construct of success right in their mind right mm-hmm. and that in itself is, is fundamentally flawed you know
0: when you talk about people hiring people who are like themselves, that really can hurt diversity real fast. And you are looking to to make the workforce in technology more diverse. Um, how are you doing that?
1: Yeah. So that's the, that's really the, the I think the, The good news that we have to share here is Mm -hmm. that we can fundamentally solve the diversity problem by killing pedigree Um, in the sense that if you look at our workforce, we've actually proven for data that the workforce that we assemble actually ends up mirroring the demographics of the communities that we hire from. Right, so for example, um, in Baltimore, which is our longest, uh, our, our oldest development center, is in Baltimore, Maryland, which is typically not a place that you think about when it comes to engineering. True, um, but you know, Baltimore Metro is twenty eight percent African American. We've got twenty nine percent African American African American developers there. Mm. We're not quite a gender parity, but we've got over a third of our workforce there being female developers. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently launched in Chicago. We actually have, you know, without even any human intervention, we end up with 50-50 gender parity um, of our of our wow. workforce there. Um, and so, you know, to put a fine point on it, we have no recruiters in the company, so nice. I don't know what my workforce looks like until they show up for training. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's that's the great thing with this model is that you end up with a diverse workforce without having to, resort, you know, resort to these kind of arcane paint by numbers diversity programs.
0: I would imagine it, for some industries, it's going to be really hard for companies to wrap their heads around that. About well, I don't know who's going to really be what the person working for me really looks like until they come in on the first day of the job. How are you finding? um companies you know embracing what it is you're doing
1: mm-hmm. Well, today, the way that we've begun sort of um, delivering our service essentially is to go after outsourcing. You know, so at a fundamental level, we're trying to disrupt the outsourcing industry. Right. But the reason why we're doing that is that that gives clients a very easy way to just try this model. Right. And then we found that as clients have actually, um, when we start delivering, when our clients actually start seeing the results. And by the way, I mean, our teams are on average produce three are three times more productive Hmm. than the existing outsourcing options that our clients have, Mm -hmm. um, they become believers. And then increasingly more of our clients are asking us to help them build programs inside their organizations to actually do the same thing.
0: So they can do this in-house. Yeah, The
1: challenge, of course, is that, you know, the technology is just one piece of it. Right. Because you also have the training and that requires a like, fundamentally rethinking about how you do training. So you know, we're taking non-technical people and turning them to the best developers in the world. So um, that's a different type of training that most organizations are used to delivering. Um, and it's a different way of handling things like mentorship and career ladders and competency models and how companies to, you know, you know, you know, um, uh, help encourage and and create those careers for for their employees. So it requires systems change on a number of different levels. Sure, um, but it starts really with just trying it. So we we started really with outsourcing as a great way for let like, clients to get over that hump and and really to see this in action.
0: And I'm curious how Catalyte makes its money. Who are you charging a fee to f- to do this? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so it's you know. We're not a training company. We're not a boot camp. In fact, you know, we pay for the training. Um, It costs nothing for applicants to come. Um, You know, we're basically monetizing through outsourcing, you know, so we're trying to disrupt the outsourcing industry, both onshore and offshore. I mean, we're excited to say in the last year we became really one of the fastest growing engineering companies, you know, in in the country. Wow. We also, um, at least from lots of research analysts, are telling us that we're now the largest onshore engineering company, and it's happened, you know, without us even trying. Right? It's really happened because we're able to deliver talent. We're able to deliver this, you know, the greatest, you know, great software development teams for our clients on demand.
0: How many employees do you have?
1: We're nearly 700 now. Um, that's up from about 150 just a year ago.
0: Oh, my goodness. You're exploding. Your growth <laughs> is exploding. Uh, but the company has very interesting roots. I understand there was a Harvard fellow years ago who came up with this concept. Tell us about how the company came to be.
1: Yeah. So this company actually began you know, from a research project the founder, Michael Rosenbaum, was working on really in the 90s. He was a fellow at Harvard um, focused on the la- area of labor market inefficiencies, and he was part of this team that really came up with this original insight that resumes in interviews actually are not predictors of successful outcomes on jobs. Actually, they're really more predictors of socioeconomic background. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and the way he proved this research was he basically uh, put a group of really kind of pedigreed computer scientists in a group and then he compared those with a group of self-taught hackers um, and he compared the results and of course us in technology you know it's probably not a surprise for a lot of us in technology but the hackers you know beat the pants off of the uh, <laughs> off of the traditional trained software uh, uh, computer scientists right. and so that became really the basis the seed that from which the company began but, you know, this is before the days of big data. This it didn't even begin as a technology company. In right. fact, in the early days, he was doing things like, you know, videotaping people, playing with Tinker Toys. Uh, he was doing mm-hmm. – they had a theory around so, so, rapid so, so, eye movement.
0: Sociology. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a sociology experiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. He was – you know, they even had this really interesting experiment around, like, rapid eye movement, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, people who have rapid eye movement actually correlates with successful, you know, traits for being software developers. And, really? Yeah. Something and,
0: in the eyes, right? They're able to yeah, maybe look so, at things quickly on a screen or – Exactly. Interesting.
1: But it, re- you know, he spent probably about a decade in the desert trying to build the algorithm, trying to build this, yeah. uh, build build the technology. And finally, when he had the technology to a point where it was, you know, ready for commercial use, he was trying to sell us HR software right into the Great Recession. <laughs> uh, and, problem? And, yeah. So nobody was buying HR software, and so finally, it was really in 2011 when a. Big Fortune 500 company said, you know, we're not really interested in HR software, but you know, we're hiring all these these contractors. You know, why don't you try running this against our contractors? And that became a very successful pilot. And then that company essentially outsourced the project for for so for they the were their, your
0: your first big client. Yeah, can yeah. you reveal the name? It was Nike. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. and so there's still a, a client now. Yes. Okay. What do you hear from companies? Why Why do they say um, they want Catalyte services. What is mm-hmm. it that that they're not getting elsewhere?
1: Well, I think the first and fundamental is that we have a big shortage of software developers. Right, right now, there's six hundred thousand software development jobs that are just going unfilled. Mm-hmm. Right, people are looking all over the world for software developers, um, and you know we're telling people, look, those that ability that. Capacity to do this work actually is right in your own community. You can actually build that right here in your own hometown. So that's first, is really just the shortage of software developers. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is that people are recognizing, especially in this world now where software development is no longer just about writing code, it's really about understanding user needs. It's really about understanding um, being, it's really becoming more of a creative aspect, especially with agile and lean product um, techniques. So you need a diverse software development workforce because you need people who can empathize with the end product that you're trying to build. So diversity is becoming a real important uh, enabler of productivity and performance for software development. Um, And I think the third is that I think fundamentally, you know, there is a recognition that there is fundamentally a problem with how we're hiring, um, you know, for these jobs, right? And so, uh, you know, this approach is, is, really activating a whole new group of a whole new workforce that people have otherwise not been able to tap into.
0: What do you tell folks who may be listening to this or they they know people or their own children are going out and getting degrees in software development? What do they make of all this?
1: <laughs> well, first, I would never say don't go to college, right? So I think, but I think that, you know, in the, you know, we've, we've sort of made college this gateway to a great career, and I don't think that's the use case. People should go to college because they're trying to learn and explore, and um, you know different interests and trying to find their way. Um, but it shouldn't be that that gateway, that necessary gateway to being a great career. And I would say today the jobs of the future, um, you know, it's, those jobs are not about absorbing some content of knowledge and then just repeating that, right? Mm -hmm. The jobs of the future are going to be those things where you have to find your own path. You have to create your own career. You have to have a growth mindset. You have to continuously learn. And those are innate attributes. Those are innate abilities that frankly everybody has. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we believe that, um, you know, and we've seen this again and again with our workforce. You know, you look at the people who come, you know, we have people who, you know, half of our, nearly half our workers didn't go to a four-year university. A third didn't go to college at all. Mm. And one of the things that you see is that, um, first of all, these are brilliant, remarkable people. Um, but secondly is that a lot of them didn't know that they had the superpower within right. them. You know, they had this ability. And they didn't know until they tried. So, you helped them unlock it. That's right. So we believe that, um, you know, you know, college and sort of pedigree and degrees should not be that limiting step.
0: Do you think we're going to see a, a rise in sort of trade schools uh, becoming more popular? And, You know, once upon a time that was a dirty word, right? And that what do you mean you're not going to get a four year degree in something that'll help you? Regardless, it will help you. I, you know, it really makes, I think, young people and and parents who are most of the time helping to foot the bill, uh, really rethink the value of that of that education.
1: Yes, I, I certainly think we're going to see a growth in trade schools and vocational schools. But I also think that we'll also start to see the rise of enlightened employers who actually start creating programs that can give pathways um, to great careers, great jobs for people who may not have, you know, the pedigree, who, who cannot afford to go to university. Go Do you
0: think maybe the retail industry could, uh, could, you know, benefit from what you're doing at Catalyte?
1: Well, I'd say that, you know, we're working on a number of very interesting programs in retail. In fact, there's a very big retailer who's trying to uh, work out a model where we might be able to transition retail associates in their stores and find a pathway for them to get into sort of software development jobs, you know, mm. in, in the company, in the same organization. And I think that's going to be the case. You know, we if you think about what what we're doing is fundamentally not something that's new. I mean, it's something that actually every every employer was doing in, you know, post, you know, post World War II. you know, when this country was going through the fastest economic growth cycles in history. Um, you know, people companies were hiring people with aptitude, and they were training people to do the work. Mm-hmm. And you know, really, it's really been since the decline of manufacturing in the '80s that, just as manufacturing went to just-in-time sort of manufacturing, I think employers moved to like just-in-time employment, right? Yeah. Where yeah. essentially, you know, today if you look at software developers, if you have a very narrow skill set, you can demonstrate that. Well, right. you're probably overcompensated. You're hired to do that, but then you're stuck doing that again and again for a long time, and right. then you have to leave and find your own career. Um, I believe that you know, the future of how employers should really be thinking about their workforce is how do you move people along? How do you create career ladders, right? How do you create maps where people can choose their own adventure within their own, within their own organizations? Those are going to be the companies that have the greatest cultures, right? When you think about culture, it comes organically from the people that you bring into the company, right? So if you want a great culture, you got to bring people along. You got to develop people.
0: Fascinating about what you're doing with retail. Can you can we be privy to the name of the retailer? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. All right. We'll be looking out for that. But I think what you're doing at Catalyte is really fascinating stuff and, and helping to reshape the workforce, at least in, in these tech areas that we talked about. So, Jacob Shu, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.